0: Uh, let's pray and then we will... Now let's stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 2, two verses this evening that we will build our arguments upon and we will go from there. Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to Matthew 28 verses... Um, 18 through 20, and then Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 will be verses 38 and 42. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 42. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. As many as our Lord God will call to himself and many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day they added there were added about 3000 souls. They were continually doing what devoting themselves to the apostles teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and father, we thank you for the time that you have given us this evening in your word. We do pray that it would be profitable for our souls. We thank you for the proclamation of the gospel this morning. We thank you that it will, as we pray this morning, uh, carry us along uh, as on eagle's wings throughout this week. And we pray that this evening as we consider the church and what she is, that we would have a better understanding of why we are here and why we are doing what we are doing when we do it. We pray that you would be exalted and glorified, that your people would be uh, strengthened, encouraged, informed, and that le- uh, we would be uh, better off for this sermon. I decrease now that you may increase and become less, so that you can become more. Be glorified in Christ. name, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I, again, I do greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you as we begin a new mini-series in our evening services. Uh, over the next few weeks, we will be considering a number of different aspects, theological topics, of surrounding the church. Uh, tonight... We will be asking, and with the Lord's help, we will be answering the question, if you're taking notes, what is the church? What is the church? Now, brothers and sisters, I would like you to think for just a moment, how would you answer that question? If someone was to ask you, what is the church? Or understand that there are those who say, I believe in God, but I want nothing to do with the church. How would you explain what she is, what she is called to be for a new believer who is coming to the church and saying, why should I join the church? How would you explain what the church is or even you here today, tonight? How would you explain what the church is, what we are going to be talking about tonight uh, for the next few weeks? It may be a refresh for some of you. You may know these things already. It may just be a good reminder for you. Uh, Some of you may be learning these things for the very first time. Uh, And for some of you, these are going to be helpful tools for you in answering some of the difficult questions that sometimes arise uh, when we are dealing with unbelievers or new believers, and sometimes even believers. Let me ask you then, where would you go to find the answer to the question, what is the church? Where would you go to find the answer? Where? Where? To the Bible, we would go to the Scriptures, right? We would go to the the only certain rule of faith and obedience, we would go to the Scriptures. God has revealed His will to us, and His will is revealed to us where? In the Scriptures. Uh, Sadly though, though we know that answer, it is becoming increasingly more common that when the question, what is the church or other theological questions arise, Rather than going to the only certain rule of faith and obedience, uh, many would rather develop their own ideas. Uh, They would rather develop their own answers to these questions. Uh, They would rather say, "I, I won't go to God's word for the answer. Instead, I'll think of my own idea of what the answer should be, and that will be the answer. What does this mean? This means, then, that many people's ideas of what the church is, and many other theological questions, they become developed not by God's word. Let me slow down. That means that our answers become developed not by God's word. But listen to these. But by personal preferences. And personal preferences that are often shaped by, listen, personal experiences. And a person's personal preference that has been developed by their personal experience, usually has an emotional attachment, a personal, emotional attachment. Does that make sense? These are my preferences, because this is what I've experienced. And because I've experienced it, it means so much to me that you can't tell me otherwise. Do you know anybody like that? Were you ever like that? But I've experienced this. You can't tell me any different. Even if you show them the scriptures and say, but it's not what God's word teaches, but I've experienced it. I've felt it. And people's personal emotional feelings, they trump God's word. That is a very dangerous place to be in. Some may argue this is the way that I grew up. Going to church with my mom, going to church with my dad or my grandma or whoever that they were fond of. And those experiences help them to develop fond memories. And, and to say that those were wrong almost tells that individual, your mom was wrong. Don't you talk about my mama, right? Your grandma was wrong. Don't you talk about mama or whatever they are, right? It, 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 it becomes personal to them. And we are more personally offended by those, uh, things that we hold dear than Going against God's word itself. Dangerous place to be. Personal preferences uh, is a plague that has attempted to attack the church from the very beginning. Often, when many come to church, they are seeking out the very things that appeal to their likes and to their dislikes. Rather than finding a church that has a desire to find out what God has commanded and obey those commands. Many people come to church because... They have things that they like there. And many people don't go to a church because they don't have things they don't like there. It seems very simple, right? Uh, You go to certain restaurants because you like what they serve. People treat churches in the same way. I will go to a church depending on what the special is, what they're serving, uh, what the deal is, right? How, How early they're open, so on and so forth. Uh, There is one local church that has tapped into this idea of personal preferences in their Easter Sunday service invitation. Here's what they said in their invitation to the community about joining them for Easter. I'm I'm doing quotation marks. Easter Sunday service. Here's what what they said as the invitation. Come and enjoy dynamic worship. Listen, a dynamic worship experience. Experience is a big word. Come enjoy a dynamic worship experience. Listen. And an uplifting message of hope. Listen to what else they're saying. High energy environment for kids. That means their teachers will be high on caffeine. A jumper. Who doesn't want that? Games. Egg hunt and an Easter story tailored just for them. This is their invitation to come join us. Well, if I'm an unbeliever, I might say, that sounds like a lot of fun. Even if I'm an unbeliever, it sounds like a whole lot of fun. What's the problem with this? Is it sinful? Well, yes, in short, it is sinful. Because it's not what God has commanded for us to do when we gather for worship. We don't have the right to do whatever we want in God's house. Just like I don't have the right to go into your house, grab the remote control, start watching what I'd like to watch, pull out food from your refrigerator, uh, and cook what I'd like to cook. It's not my house. I don't get to do what I want to do in your house. Right? But let's take this a step further. It's also problematic. Now listen, I'm going to say this slowly, because these kind of churches... Uh, young people who are in here, listen to this. These kinds of churches are training biblically ignorant people that this is what you should expect from a normal worship service. They're training them to believe that when you go to church, this is what you should get. So then when they, when people come to a church like ours, where the main focus is not a jumper, but God's word, where gospel proclamation is the centerpiece of all that we do, it's completely foreign. It's not only foreign, it's almost offensive. You mean that's all you have? There's nothing else? (laughs) Churches like these are teaching people that God's word is not sufficient, that there must be more. And God's word that used to be the entree is now the garnish. And it's not the main meal. The other things are now the entree. Brothers and sisters, we must be equipped with the answer. What is the church? We must know the answer to this question so that when we are here, we know what we expect. We know what we are, who we are, rather than letting the culture or church culture that's uh, heavily influenced by the world, tell us who we are and what we should be. Right. In order to find this out, we look to God's word. We've already read our verses for today, uh, this evening. We will go through four points this morning, or this evening, excuse me. Number one, the foundation, we're answering the question, wh- what is the church? The foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, the foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, uh, it's nothing else. The foundation, what the church is built on, is nothing else than the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else than the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see in Matthew 28 and in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ has established his church with a specific model. Therefore, what the church is, begins with what the Lord Jesus Christ has created the church to be. What we are is what Christ has made us to be. Nothing else. Uh, notice in Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus makes commands to His disciples to do what? What does He command them to do? To do what? Go, make disciples, right? Of all nations. And for those who respond... Baptize them and also to teach them all the things that have, that they've been taught. When we come to the book of Acts, that's exactly what's happening. The message of Christ has gone out. Those who have ears to hear respond with repentance and baptism and they continue in the doctrine and teachings of the disciples, of the apostles, if you will. Very simple. It's a very simple and obvious point, but it's necessary. It's a necessary starting point for this series. The church is built on Christ. The church is built on Christ and what Christ has taught. It's founded on Christ. It's established on Christ. The church grows based, grows based upon what Christ has established and what Christ has taught. Very simple. If our idea of what the church is begins with a social agenda, personal preferences, a childhood memory a personality all of those things begin with a wrong foundation we begin with the lord jesus christ and his commands for the church Amen. the church is no more or no no less no no more or no less than what christ has made it to be simple number 2 the church <clears throat> or the love of christ is the foundation of the church The love of Christ is the foundation of a church. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. When the Bible, God's Word, talks about the church, listen, who is the Bible talking about? When the Bible talks about the church... Who is that in reference to? Who is the church? The word is referring to a specific people. Who are they? They are those for whom Christ has died. So when we're speaking about the church, they are those for whom Christ has died. Brothers and sisters, has Christ died for every single person in the world without distinction? No. Christ has died to save a specific people, a distinct people. He has foreknown them, foreloved them before the foundation of the world. Ephesians one four. Now, where then do we get this idea that the love of Christ is the foundation of the church? Turn to Ephesians five twenty three. The love of Christ is the foundation of the church. Five twenty three through twenty seven. <clears throat> For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Listen to how. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the, by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she would be holy and blameless in Paul's teachings about husbands and wives. He tells us something great about the church. But notice in verse 23 that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the church. Therefore, the church is the thing that he saved. Uh, We said in our our first point, uh, who is the church? It is all those for whom Christ has died. Those whom he has saved. In verse 25, we see uh, how he saved the church. We see that he loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, Who is the church? All those for whom Christ has died. How has he saved them with his love, giving up his life? We all know these things. They're very simple. Christ died for a people, and those people constitute what's called the church. They are people that belong to him. They are his church, the body of which he is the head. That raises a question then. If Jesus Christ died... For a people, and those people are called the church. How do we find them? Where are they? Where is this group of people? And how do we, you, identify those people, those whom Christ has died for, those whom He has loved? How do we find them? Uh, these are going to be four subpoints. We're going to go quickly. Those Christ saved are those who profess faith in Christ. This is letter A. So two A. Those Christ saved are those who profess faith in Christ. Those who Christ saved are those who profess faith in Christ. Brothers and sisters, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ saved a people from the condemnation of their sins. Therefore, those who profess faith in Christ are the church. When the Bible talks about Jesus Christ saving us from our sins... It's speaking about saving in two ways. The first way that we are saved is that Christ has saved us from the condemnation. So if you're taking notes, saved us from condemnation that was upon us for our sinfulness. We sinned against God. We were condemned as guilty sinners because of our sins. In Adam, we were all condemned to eternal punishment in hell. But thanks be to God. Jesus Christ, the second and better Adam, suffered and died, took the punishment that was due for our sin, taking away, removing condemnation that was upon us. He bore our sentence. God's judgment. Right? The Bible says in uh, Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How is it that we are freed from condemnation? It's by trusting in, placing your faith, all of your hope in the one who has saved you from sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to find people for whom Christ has suffered the condemnation, removing it from them, we only need to look for those who are placing their faith in Christ. So we're saying, who, who are these people who have been saved? Those who place their faith in Christ. They are placing their faith that he has saved them from condemnation. Are we all together? Yeah. Those who are believing in him, uh, they are the ones whom he has saved. They are united to one savior and then united to one another through that common savior by a common love that has been poured out on us. I'll say it again. So we've been united to one savior, then united to one another, By a common love that has been poured out on us. The love that Jesus poured out on a people. Draws that people together. And they are the church. So when someone is placing their faith in Christ. They are drawn to others who have placed their faith in Christ. What draws them together? The love of Christ. We have been saved by Christ. And therefore we are drawn together And we are developing, uh, we are being made into what the scriptures call a church. We, they, we would not be joining together otherwise. Think about the people who are here. Would you have anything to do with the people that are here if it were not for Christ? No, we wouldn't. If it were not for Christ, if it were not for Christ, we would not have anything to do with one another. We have been joined together because of the love of Christ. Uh, people might gather for other reasons. We might see each other at the same uh, baseball or basketball game. We might see each other at the same restaurant. We might see each other even at the same movie. But those m- are momentary and they're fleeting and they don't last. When we come here, we are are joining, and our joining represents an eternal union. That means that when we see each other each Lord's Day, we are seeing what will be for eternity. Because of the love of Christ. It is the love of Christ that has brought us together to be what we are. It's the love of Christ that saves us from our sins. That draws us together to to worship in this place. Uh, First was A, now B, those who place their faith in Christ are killing sin. We're we're trying to find out who's the church. They are those who have been saved by Christ, those whom Christ has loved. They are those who are placing their faith in Christ, uh, that he rescues them from condemnation. And they are also those who are putting sin to death. Jesus Christ saved a people, not just from condemnation of their sin, but also from corruption of their sin. We're not just saved from condemnation. We are also saved by Christ from corruption of our sin. Therefore, those who are killing sin, living in holiness, they are the church. We're asking, how do we find them? Who are they? Those who place their faith in Christ and those who are killing sin we are saved first from the condemnation of our sins that's the first way the second way we are saved is by from the corruption of our sins if you're taking notes we are saved in two ways condemnation and corruption the book of colossians says colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god verse 5 says put to death therefore what is earthly in you Jesus Christ has not freed you or me from the presence of sin. But he has freed us from the power of sin. From the corruption of sin. From the dominating focused power of sin. The scriptures are developing a criteria for who is the church, isn't there? Uh, they're, They're saying they are those who place their faith in Christ. Those who have been saved from the condemnation and corruption of sin. Not a perfect people. Not people who are perfect, but people who are honest with their sin. People who are honestly saying, I am asking God to help me put this sin to death. Uh, not presenting themselves as holier than everyone else people, but those who are honest with their sins people. Is there any way that this criteria from the scriptures of, of who the church is, is there any way that this can be narrowed? Can, can we focus this in a little bit more? Are there other things that the scriptures teach About who the church is, of course, letter C, uh, A, B, now C. Baptism is the initiation into this body. Baptism is the initiation into this body. The people for whom Christ died are organized into local assemblies. We'll talk more about this uh, maybe next two weeks. They are organized into local assemblies. How are they organized? Through baptism? Those for whom Christ died are organized into local assemblies. They, they are recognized by local assemblies, local gatherings through baptism. What do we call a, a group of people who have been baptized who meet together because of the love of Christ for them? What do we call them? A church! Right? What do we call the people who have been baptized and meet together because Christ loves them? A church! Baptism is the public way that we claim Christ's love for ourselves. We say what Jesus did to save a people from sins. I trust in that. I believe that promise. Uh, Baptism is an outward public visible symbol of two things. It is first God speaking to us. God saying uh, all of those who are united with my son in his death are united uh, All those who are united with my son in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, they are new creatures. They are new creations. They will not suffer the curse of death. They will enjoy resurrected, eternal life forever. That's God's promise made visible to us in baptism. Are you with me? Yeah? That's one way. God speaking to us. The other, it's the person hearing that. And saying... I believe that. The first way is God saying, here is my promise to you who join my son, who identify with my son in baptism. And the second way is us saying to God, and I believe that. I will go into the waters of baptism. I will publicly show my faith that I I believe in the very promise of God, that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, that I trust in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. So it's God speaking to us, and it's us proclaiming back to God, I believe. Baptism is God speaking to us, and it is us claiming or believing in what God is saying, saying, I want the love of Jesus. I trust in the love of Jesus that is symbolized here in baptism. And that's why we don't baptize people unwillingly. That's why we don't enforce baptism. That's why we don't baptize our infants because it's God saying one thing to us, and it's us saying another thing back to God. We'll talk about this baptism more in the future, but uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, I would consider it maybe one of the top five movies of all time, Nacho Libre. We are not Nacho, forcefully baptizing Esqueleto. We hear the message of God, And He is so moved in our hearts that we respond in faith and obedience. We baptize those who believe. We baptize those who desire to obey. We baptize those who want to join the church. They are washed in His love in baptism. They're claiming His love in a public way. They trust in His love. They they delight in His love. They love Him who first loved them. They have been freed from the condemnation of their sin. And thus, being pure in their conscience, they fight remaining corruption of sin to be pure in their life. Well, what's the next step? Well, what's the next step? What's the, the next criteria of someone who is a believer? How do we recognize them? Letter D, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the regular communion of this body. The love of Christ saves the people. These people trust in the love of Christ. They live in the love of Christ, putting sin to death. They visibly and publicly profess their faith in Christ, in the love of Christ, through the waters of baptism. So then what do these people do next? They go their own separate ways and do their own thing, their own individual things? No. As a body, these people regularly congregate and participate in a meal Of remembering the love of Christ. It's all about the love of Christ, right? Remembering the love of Christ presently. Rejoicing in the love of Christ. And looking forward unto the perfect union with Christ who loved them first. That's the Lord's Supper. What is that? It's the Lord's Supper. And this Supper has been set apart by Christ. As a unique Supper, different than all other Suppers. This is not a a 20-piece chicken nugget and... Large fry. It's a distinct meal. This is why we don't serve Coca-Cola and chicken nuggets here. Because God has commanded this meal. He's uh, told us what we are to eat, what we are to drink, how we are to uh, celebrate and fellowship with him at this meal. It is bread. It is the cup. It is to be done when we gather. It is to be done in an orderly way. We are to remember. We are to presently rejoice. We are to look forward to. He has designated this meal, he has designed this meal for a specific purpose just like the day. The Lord's day is unique just like the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's. This day belongs to the Lord. So for anybody to do anything other than what the Lord has commanded is sin. I know people hate when I say that. Well, I'm not a Sabbatarian. You don't have to be. Do you believe in the Bible? Yes. And the Bible says, on his day you do what he's commanded. At his supper you do what he's commanded. We don't get to do what we want. And when we fail, we ask him for grace so that we may put to death remaining sin. Y'all make sense? That makes sense? It's a holy meal for holy use. Pastor Zay has been saying recently as he's praying over the meal uh, that this meal be set apart for holy use because it's not a normal meal. It's a unique meal that has been set up By God, it's been given specific commands and guidelines on how we're supposed to use it. We'll talk more about the Lord's Supper in future sermons. But These believers, they continue to live on, listen to this, and feed on the love of Christ that is displayed to them where? In the bread and in the cup of the supper. If the love of Christ, Christ giving up his life for the church, establishes the church, what does the Lord Jesus Christ give to us as regular, ongoing sustenance for our faith. Christ reminds us that this is His body. Christ reminds us that this is His blood. This is His life. This is His death. This is His ascension that has made us what we are, constituted us as, as a church as we are. So then, the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism and in the Lord's Supper regularly and prominently reminds us this. Don't forget why you're here. What has He provided for us as ongoing sustenance for our faith? This. Don't forget why you're here, and it's so easy to forget, right? It's so easy to forsake. It's so easy to say it's just a cup, just a cup and a bread piece of sometimes stale bread. Thanks, Deacon Ray. Right. Sometimes uh, <laughs> what tastes like fermented drink. Thanks, Sister Mary. But it's 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 there to remind us. This is why you're here. No matter how it tastes, this is why you're here. You would not be here if it were not for this. It's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for this to become monotonous. For this to become routine. For this, as I was praying this morning, for it to become robotic. It's so easy for us to get distracted by other things. Other than the reason why we're here. It's so easy for us to get distracted from the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and begin to fight among ourselves because we've lost sight of why we're here. The life, death, resurrection and ascension of Christ, the doing and dying and rising of Christ. For the sisters, this is why we're here. This is why we gather. And for nothing else. It is because of what Christ has done. Not because we've got jumpers today. And we never will. Well, not for a worship service, that's at least. Not because we have coffee and donuts today. But because we celebrate what Christ has done for us. Baptism is the door to the church. Where other professing believers openly confess, I believe in Christ and I want in. The church baptizes that individual. And then collectively, communally, we get to join together in the Lord's Supper and confess our hope that Christ will return. And and we do this together, don't we? What do we do? We eat the same bread. Brother Ray doesn't, or Deacon Ray doesn't bring all of us our own separate pieces of bread. We are partaking from a a, a loaf that has been uh, broken apart from the same loaf, though the same bread. We all drink the same drink. We all have received the same love. We all have the same Savior. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. Gosh, how we need this reminder. Every day, yes. But especially on the day that God has provided for us to remember. Remember what He has done. How will we live another day, brothers and sisters? Because of what Christ has done. How will we face tomorrow, brothers and sisters? Because of what Christ has done. How do I know that I have eternal life and a hope of glory? Because of what Christ has done. How do I know I've been saved from the condemnation of the wicked with the wicked? Because of what Christ has done. How can I know that this sin that is still in me will not be the death of me? Because of what Christ has done. How can I know that when I die, I will rise? Because of what Christ has done. And we're reminded of each and every one of those things here when we gather. All of these and more are presented to us as reminders, as present celebrations, as future hopes when we gather on the Lord's Day and partake of the Lord's Supper. When we regularly partake of the Lord's Supper, it should prevent the church from being anything else than what it's called to be. Not about a personality, not about some nostalgia that we have, not about programs even that we've developed. It's about Christ who lived and died for us who come to this table to remember him. The Lord's Supper powerfully keeps Jesus Christ at the center of what we are as a church and what we do as a church. It fortifies our faith and it fuels our fight against sin. Third and finally. I said four points, it's actually three. The church, the church is founded on the liberty that Christ has given us. We have considered the foundation of the love of Christ that is, uh, that the church is built upon. Now consider the liberty of Christ the church is built upon. It is very important that we understand what we mean by liberty. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us commands to obey. Hear that word obey? Matthew 28, Christ declares his authority, hear that word authority, and gives us a a specific model, set of instructions, hear that word instructions, of what the apostles uh, must do and pass on to others. In Ephesians 5, the church submits, hear that word submits, to Christ. That means that believers are baptized, when they are baptized, they join a local church, local assemblies. And they do the things that Christ has commanded. Now this is funny, right? The body does what the head commands. Jesus Christ is, is given us freedom to obey His commands. Now I just used a weird word in light of of like five or six different words that I've used. I said freedom. Now how do we connect freedom with words like authority, commands, submission? How do we connect the two? It seems to be almost a disconnect. Well, we tend to think of words like authority and command and submission as being, uh, constraining, but actually they're, they're liberating. Christ gives us commands that are establishes or that he establishes within the church. Listen, this is what it is and this is what you do with it. Now enjoy it. You hear that? this is what it is this is what you do with it now enjoy it we are completely free to enjoy all that Christ has commanded his church within the context of his church the very thing that he created do you hear that uh, I tried to think of a number of different examples of this uh, all of you have not been in boxing gyms so I couldn't use that one uh, some of you have not been in like regular twenty four hour gyms, so I couldn't use that one. I started to think, well, here's here's one. Think of Willy Walker in the cho- in, in the chocolate factory. When the children have gained access to the factory, Wonka says, "Have a go, enjoy it. You are free to eat all the things." And they're just they're eating cups that look like lilies. They're they're eating chocolate. There's there are. Apps, there is freedom allowed in the chocolate factory. Eat all the candy. Eat all the chocolate. But there are also some, bo- some boundaries. Don't jump in the chocolate river. Right? Remember that? You are free, but there are some boundaries. You are not allowed to do this. Wonka sets the, the boundaries. He gives the commands. And as long as you stay within the commands, it's a blast. Who does not want to be in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? Right? Whenever you see the movie, as, as old as it is, my wife and I looked it up and it's like 30 years old. And, I, and it never gets old. Watching it is like, I'm 40 now and, and I still, am, I wish I could go there one day. It still looks amazing, right? And as long as you stay within the confines of what the commands are, you're gonna have a blast. It's when you go outside of those commands that you become or go into dangerous territory. Christ provides a space where we can all do the things that he has commanded in the place that he has commanded, that he has created. In doing so, Christ gives us freedom from ourselves and from the dictates of others. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. And that's freedom. We're free from ourselves. Someone may say, why are there so many denominations? Because people have gotten in the way. God's word is clear. We are corrupted. And we have corrupted what is clear. What we are trying to do is get back to what he's commanded. Without corruption. We are free from those who come and say, I want the church to be this way. doesn't matter. We're free to obey what God has commanded us to obey. If the Pope said to us, this is what you're supposed to do, we just ignore him. He's not the head of the church. Christ is. If the President of the United States came and said, I want you to start doing this, we ignore him too. Because he's not the head of the church. Christ is. We have been given freedom from our head to ignore anyone other than Christ when it comes to what we do in this place. When we come to church, we should rejoice because we have the freedom to obey the commands of Christ and we're not forced to do anything that anyone other than Christ has commanded us to do. If Christ has said it, then we should rejoice because we have a a clear command from our head and we are under the bondage of no man. We have God's word. Uh, We are and we do what Christ has commanded us to be and do. Because the church is built on Christ. Who are we? Those whom Christ has loved. What do we do? The things Christ has commanded. No church life is healthy apart from gospel proclamation of the love of Christ set forth in the gospel. The church cannot grow up in a healthy manner. Without regular proclamation of the gospel. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. What is that? It's not just speaking about uh, the lost; It's speaking about the believer. We must always look to Christ and be reminded of his finished work when we come to this place. And, and that's the joy and the freedom that we have when we come. The advantage is the word of Christ delivered to the people of Christ. It's the voice of your shepherd, each Lord's Day saying, this is what I command. And us freely saying, joyfully saying, yes, I will obey. And where it's hard, give me strength to obey. Where it's hard, give me strength to put to death the things that are resisting that command. How, how those who do not come on a regular basis survive apart from a regular proclamation of the gospel is beyond me. How someone grows apart from the regular proclamation of the gospel is beyond me. Think about this morning's sermon. I told Pastor Zay this morning, was that that verse just like recently added to the Bible? I've, I've never seen it that way. Where has that verse been? What a powerful gospel message was preached this morning! How people survive without that and call themselves believers at the same time—I don't get it. How someone can say, "I can go without that," I don't need that. I don't believe that's that's the saying or the action of a true believer. I heard Brother uh, Pastor Mark Dever say. Someone had said, are you saying that if you don't go to church, you're not a believer? He said, no. I'm saying, I don't know a believer who doesn't go to church. So he flipped it. But it's so true. Are you saying that uh, if you don't go to church, you're not a believer? No, I'm saying, I don't know a Christian who doesn't go to church on a regular basis. When a person has a chance, a a choice, listen, to go to church or to stay home? What's the determining factor that makes you say, that determines what you will do? I'm going to stay home today. What made you say, I'm going to stay home? I'm going to go to church. What 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 was that, that that final thing that said, this is what I'm going to do? And for those who don't obey the command of Christ, how are you okay with it? How are you okay with it? This is not legalism. This is, if you love me, obey my commands. There's nothing more nutritional for a believer than joining to hear the regular proclamation of the love of Christ. No church life is healthy apart from the regular enjoyment of the liberty of Christ. The things that Christ has commanded, He has freed us to do. If we're not busy doing what Christ has commanded, we cannot be a healthy church, or healthy members uh, as well. We come and we sing the word. We preach the word. We think of the word. We see the word in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. We do these things. Let, let as I'm seeing all of you on this Sunday evening. It's getting to be six thirty, and it's nice and comfortable in here. We wish we had a blanket so we can go to nap, take a nap. Listen. The point is not just doing these things. The point is the regular enjoyment of these things. Do you enjoy the liberties that Christ has given you when we gather for worship? We do the things that Christ has commanded us to do, yes. But do you enjoy them? We've been free to enjoy them. Not to do them in, in a in a if you don't do these things you're going to hell, but a love and a desire to do them. That's 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 the thing that gets me. You don't want to do them, right? When when someone says, "I see the command of Christ, but I don't want to do it," but you can't tell me I'm not saved. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. They get upset, people get upset when you say, you're telling me if I don't do these things that I'm not saved. I don't have to do them. But the, the flip side is, but don't you want to do them? Don't you find enjoyment in doing them? Don't you desire to do them? And if you don't, there's a bigger issue going on here. We don't just look at these things and say, I'm supposed to do them. We look at them and say, I get to do them. Christ has provided them for me, for my joy. How do you enjoy them? When you come on the Lord's Day, how do you keep the things that we regularly do, how do you keep them from being a routine for you? Do you realize that some of the things that we, we start to develop as routine and monotonous, that we just say, God, this is, this is becoming very monotonous for me. Do you realize that some of those things are our faults? Listen to this. We choose to sit in the same exact seats every time. And we want to say, it's becoming monotonous. Well, <laughs> pick a different seat. We choose to sing at the same exact same exact level every single time. Maybe sing a little bit louder. We choose to arrive at the same exact time every single Lord's Day, right? Why don't you try getting here a little earlier? We even choose to leave at the same exact time every single Lord's Day. We choose to talk to the same exact people every Lord's Day. I don't know, switch it up. Maybe that might change the monotony. Come to prayer. Come to the narrow road. Come to church on time. Sit in a different seat. Talk to someone else. Pray for someone. Go out and pass out a gospel track in between services. Come to 4.30 Bible study. Come to evening service. Come to the Lord's table. Stay a little bit longer afterwards. Stop making excuses. There's nothing wrong with the church. It's us. It's always been us. And I know so many people who go, "I'm leaving. I'm going to another church." I hope the best for you. And then go there and find out they're not there anymore. They're somewhere else. And they if they're not there no more, they're, they're nowhere. It's never us. It's just putting to death sin. It's it's that that thought that legalistically, if I do these things, I'm okay with God. Rather than joyfully saying, I want these things. I desire these things. They are freedom and liberty to me. The church is not about love and license. It's not about love and a license to do whatever I want. It's about love and liberty. I love Christ and he has freed me to love him and to obey his commands and to enjoy them. We are the people of Christ's love. Think about that. We get to obey these commands of God together. Let's enjoy them. Let's enjoy the grace that has been given to us. Let's enjoy the table as we come in just a few moments. Let's, as you come to the table in a few moments, let's think of other things other than what you normally think of. Let's think of this today. What I am going to partake of today will be something that I partake of in the future face to face with Christ. So as you're coming to the table, imagine you are coming to the table and yes, you are fellowshipping with Christ and you are walking down a long line of saints from old. Those who have gone before and you together are going to be rejoicing in this meal that Christ has provided for you. That's just a suggestion. What is a church? I pray that that was helpful for you this evening. Let's pray.